what I've struggled with as a breadwinning mum is that societal understanding of, oh, you're crazy. Why didn't you didn't have a year off with your child? We're joined today by Mel Foster, the Customer Success and Experience Director at WorkBuzz, an organisation that is determined to help build the world's best workplaces. We'll be hearing about how WorkBuzz is both an equally challenging and rewarding environment, how the CEO develops a culture of psychological safety, and what Mel has done to help improve herself as a leader by implementing 360 feedback. Enjoy the episode. Um, hi, Mel. Thank you so much for joining us on the Happy Workplace Project today. Really excited to be talking to you today. I know you and I go back quite a few years and it's brilliant to reconnect. So a journey that's seen you pass through HSBC, Countryside. I know that you then ran your consultancy for a while and, and today you're with a company called WorkBuzz. So I wondered if you could start by maybe giving us an overview as to who the business are and the role that you're doing currently. I'm currently working for WorkBuzz, which is an employee engagement listening platform. So we ultimately have a platform that people utilize, our clients utilize to listen to their employees, run employee engagement surveys and gather feedback to help improve the employee experience. Fantastic. So I'm really interested in our conversation today to come at this from two angles. I guess number one would be WorkBuzz as an organisation and what you guys are doing to enhance your culture. And number two would be, what do you see from a trends perspective? You know, like that kind of meta experimental perspective overview of the market. But I'd like to start with understanding a little bit more about the culture of WorkBuzz first. So could you describe that for us? Sure. So we're absolutely a scale up organisation. So where we started from actually was we were, I originally joined an organization called Smith and Henderson about six years ago. That was an employee engagement consultancy. Um, but our CEO, Steve Frost, is always got his eye on the future and could see that the market was shifting quite quickly. So what we realized we needed to do was bring our platform in-house um, and that enabled us to build WorkBuzz, which, as I say, is, is a scale up. And what that in, means is that it's a very different culture and that you've really got to find people that are up for a more agile approach to work, um, much more at pace, but also interested in taking more accountability and ownership than ever before. And for us, our culture is it's all about improving other people's working lives. So we try to embed that within our own culture. And I'd like to say we do have quite a lot of fun as a team as well. Fantastic. So let's look at the wider market. You guys have access to really interesting data as a result of the work that you do. What are the key themes that you're seeing from an employability and culture perspective at the moment? Yeah, so there are particular challenges that our clients are working through at the moment that we're seeing across the market and certain things that I think every HR professional is facing into from last year is, is the challenge around recruitment and retention both sides of, of the coin there what we see especially when it comes to retention of people dropping out of a funnel quite early on so we're taking the new role on and then within a few months deciding it's actually not the right fit for us so what we're trying to work with a lot of clients on is preventing that spill out of new people that you've just brought in and have spent a lot of time and money investing in and what we're also trying to do is is look at other things with clients so well-being is another key feature post-covid I think everyone's become much more aware of their well-being and at the moment 
key focus in the UK in particular is around financial well-being. People are stretched. Uh, we are having an absolute cost of living crisis and that impacts employees on the front line. So supporting our clients to make sure that they can navigate those challenges and listen in the right way where they don't overcommit, but make sure that they are supportive of their employees and the challenges that they're facing. So just looping back to what you said about the onboarding piece, what what have you seen about where companies are getting that wrong? What are employees telling you? Oh, it, it varies from organisation to organisation. This is the joy of, of employee listening. <laughs> There's no one size fits all, which is, is good fun, but yeah, it makes it quite hard to talk about it on a broad level. But what I would say is quite a lot of the time when we are recruiting sometimes there's a bit of gap between what the actual job is so so there's one piece there's a second piece about are we getting the onboarding process right and that's the bit that I think is is fundamentally broken for most organizations when we're looking to recruit and when we're onboarding what we need to be really mindful of is embedding values very early on and having those discussions about expectations and what's expected in that role and, and not trying to sugarcoat anything, letting, almost trying to put people off the job. And something actually that we do at WorkBuzz is we send people 10 reasons for joining, but also 10 reasons for not joining WorkBuzz. Yeah, and, and it what it does, it's, it enables people to root themselves out because if you don't want to be, let's say you're applying for a job and it's in a corporate environment, if you don't like decision-making practices and waiting for other people and bureaucracy and you don't like playing to those stakeholders, it's probably not the right fit for you. So almost understanding that before you go too far into the journey is critical. And I think during onboarding, really bringing that culture to life is where we see clients winning. It's about making sure that people feel part of the team and that they're, you know, part of the family that they're joining immediately, rather than just somebody who's there, a bum on the seat, is waiting for a laptop and doesn't get any interaction with their manager for the first two weeks. I know your business talks about how you're always looking to improve. Could you tell us how you make that live within the organisation and what that means from a customer development perspective or relationship development perspective, should I say, with the customer? So I think it starts with us as work buzzers. Um, That's what we like to coin ourselves internally. And our CEO absolutely sets this from the top. Because we're on a scale-up journey, what we talk about is the business is growing 100% year on year. If you as an individual aren't growing at that pace as well, you will get left behind. And that's the reality of of where we're going. And that's something that we have to really understand in in terms of our own personal development, that there is always more to learn and that there are more opportunities to add value to WorkBuzz. And I think that then interestingly reflects back onto our clients in terms of how they're always learning because we're on a, a continuous listening path. What they can do is unlock that from their employees because they're constantly listening to them to understand what their gaps are, where their strengths are, improve. And then once you've done that, I'm afraid the work doesn't stop. You've got to go at it again. So we're always continuously improving altogether. And the way that we guide our clients, the way that we interact with them in terms of how we service them, they see that with WorkBuzz. We've just sent out our latest round of NPS surveys and uh, It's always very interesting, but the majority of them are nines and tens. Anything below that, we follow up because it's not good enough for WorkBuzz and we want to improve and we want to hear that. So it's about setting that bar really high for yourself and embedding that. It's a learning culture. Continue to develop 
and you're, you're never going to be finished. <laughs> so on the theme of improving and setting the bar high, what are you seeing working in the market at the moment? You know, who's doing brilliant things from a culture perspective, a retention perspective? How are they improving engagement, et cetera? So I've got I've got a great case study at the moment that one of our clients has just run. They started the first survey with us and then they ran the second survey last year. And, and that client I can share is, is Euro Car Parts, part of the LKQ group. A huge organization, lots of distributed workforce, obviously people that are quite hard to reach sometimes because they've got drivers and, and people in branches, etc. Saturday workers, good challenge around there. But what we've really seen that drives engagement is just the buy-in from leadership to listen and to act on feedback and, and take it seriously. So I think that case study in particular, what Eurocar Parts has done is that they took away the results from the first survey that they ran with us and they really digested it. As part of the leadership team, they made strong commitments about exactly what they were going to do, the changes that they were going to make and try to impact specific questions and scores. And I mean, there's, we've got a case study and I'd implore everyone to watch this so they hear it directly from Donna, who's their HRD's mouth, because what she's done is actually improved Every question that they asked across the board, which is unheard of in an engagement survey um, for a second year. And I think with her key focus was really about one question in particular, which is about your intention to act as an employer. So we asked the question uh, following the survey, do you think your employer is going to act on your feedback? And that's the one that she took as a bit of a stick, a thorn in her side and, and used it as a motivator to go and rally the troops, ensure the actions were, were being moved. And then being able to increase that in itself demonstrated her ability to get more buy-in. So I think things like that, it's about keeping it focused and trying to pull the levers where you can. Do you know, I think I think what you say is absolutely spot on in respect of the fact that we get to meet with a whole range of organizations and hear about problems and challenges. And one of the key themes that so often comes through is the fact that they're asking their employees how they're thinking and feeling about stuff, and then they're not doing anything about it, and they know they're not doing anything about it. And very often, that's where the disengagement starts. Exactly. This is um, what we call survey fatigue. Almost okay. so many times, why am I going to keep telling you anything? And, and we're big believers that a lack of action creates a lack of response Yeah. because why would I waste my time? And what we've seen is certain suppliers have had the five smiley faces, like smiley through to sad face. Tell me how you feel today. What do you actually do with that data? What do you do for your team? If they're to all say, come back, you know, you get 10 of them that are, are sad faces. If you can't act on that, it's meaningless. Yeah. And it gives the employee, you know, it gives them an outlet, but nothing in terms of support and that relationship. That's what true employee engagement should be. Mel, can you tell us a bit about your leadership style, please? Yeah, sure. So I'd like to think of myself as an authentic leader. I'm a big believer in just being yourself at work and being the human. I think leadership has really shifted over the last five to 10 years where we expect we previously expected leaders to have all the answers we were used to more of an autocratic way of being managed and led whereas now what we want are leaders that want to hear us want to inspire us want to actually be a person and human and engage with us so I really deem myself more of an authentic leader and I try to practice more inclusive leadership so making sure that I'm practicing what I preach as part of work buzz 
and that I listen to my team, that I invite opinion. I don't always jump in first, which when you're come from a comms background and an extrovert, take some managing on your own side and self-development. the instinct all the time. <laughs> yeah, but I think we've got there and I actually invite feedback from my team quite often. So at least once a year, we'll run 360 feedback. And I think, I think I'm pretty good at leading. <laughs> I think they're quite happy with me at the moment. So hopefully that continues. But I think it's that authenticity around, they know that I'm still developing as well. And yeah. that there's things about them that I care about more than what they do at work because they, they as people come above them as employees. And that I think that's really important to people in this day and age and will become more of a skill that we have to see in leaders. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there was some research done by Gallup fairly recently about the levels of burnout that have been experienced as a result of the pandemic and how, as a result, the spectrum of needs of the employee have become wider, inclusive of things like authenticity, inclusive of things like well-being, flexibility, etc. And what it was saying was that if businesses can get that piece right, then ultimately, if you can be yourself at work, you will build deeper connections. If you build deeper connections, you will produce better work. If you produce better work, you'll have higher uh, engagement and a stronger culture, which will enhance your employer brand externally. And I know that's an oversimplification, but that is ultimately the journey most businesses are on at the moment, isn't it? Humanizing business like never exactly. before. Yeah. Yeah. So your vision as an organization is to help organizations create cultures where every voice matters and every person can be their best. How do you keep that alive? How do you hold people, if you like, to those uh, standards that allow um, the, the the vision to be achieved? Yeah, so I think they're obviously supported, that mission statement supported by our values and that we, we do live at WorkBuzz. And a lot of the time, what we try to do is, one, we start by when we're attracting people, sharing our purpose, our mission, our vision, our values. And then when we're going through the recruitment process, making sure that they align to those and that they see the bigger picture. So you're getting the right people in from the start, reinforcing that during onboarding. So we actually have a time that we sit down and reset the culture, our culture code. And that reinforces, again, why we're all here. That's what you're contributing to and seeing how you contribute in your role to that wider organizational goal is something that we're continuously talking about. I think the great thing is our organization is quite small and flat at this point. So it it's, it's easier for us than it is when you're tens of thousands of people. But I think the key thing that helps us keep it alive is, is that our CEO lives and breathes it. So do our executive leadership team. And that really re embeds itself in your employees because they, they of course, they want to be heard and be the best version of themselves internally, but also then supply that to their clients if they're working with them. And what happens if somebody isn't meeting the behavioural standard? Where where do you guys go from there? How Or how do you help them self-select out, if you like? I think that's the key word. It's the self-selection piece as well that's really important to us. What we're trying to build is more of an awareness from our people and in themselves. What we want people to do is, is leave WorkBuzz a better version of themselves so that they can go and, you know, join somewhere else or, you know, take their career out of whatever direction they so wish post work buzz and I think that piece around just developing and, and focusing in helps them identify if this is the right journey for them being really 
honest and transparent about the journey that we're on as an organization, the pace that they can expect, the change that they can expect for, you know, potentially the year ahead and letting them know how much we don't know as a leadership team. There are things that are unknown, um, especially when we were heading into COVID. We didn't know what would happen with the business. I don't think anyone did. And that authenticity from leaders really drives buy-in from people. I think that's what's really important at Workbuzz, just being honest and, and letting people decide what path is right for them. And I think that's how it's enabled us. Authenticity is a word that has come up frequently in this conversation so far. I'm really interested, therefore, to understand what your non-negotiable behaviours are. It links through all the way, authenticity. But for me, it's about just whether you want to say authentic, honest, transparent, straight shooting, insert your own expletives there. And I think it's it's about just being just a human and direct and saying what's on your mind and, and not having to filter yourself. That for me is really important just because we all come at the world in such different ways. We all have varying backgrounds. We all have completely different experiences. That means that every person should have something different to contribute to pretty much any conversation that they enter. And so for me, that's a really important value, just being your genuine self. I think the second thing is, is just caring and showing and having a bit of a heart, which is, is sounds a bit odd, but it's because so often at business, we try to protect ourselves or throw up this kind of robotic image and especially a certain leaders of a certain age and, and typically male, unfortunately for them, like to have their guardrails up. But I think the more that we drop that, the better it is. And the more that people know you as a person, the more that they trust in you. So with my team, they know that I'm a mother, I have a toddler, that, you know, if he's sick, I'll be off with him or he'll be running around being a bit crazy. And that authenticity and, and that ability for them to understand that and me not hiding it from them and saying, yeah, I'm human. I also have human things to deal with makes them feel completely more bought into what we're trying to build and, and who they're working for and also that they can be themselves at work which is everything for us. So you've spoken there about the challenges of family life. WorkBuzz has been great to you in, in respect of the fact that you've been through different promotions with the organisation in a relatively short space of time. What's the biggest sacrifice that you've had to make to move forward at the velocity that you have? I don't see it as a sacrifice in terms of to work buzz, but more in terms of maybe societal. And I was talking to my husband about this actually yesterday. I am the breadwinner in my household. So we knew that when we were having a child that I would take quite short maternity leave and that my husband would share my leave and take a longer period of time off, which to be honest is, is amazing and has been for me one of the better things to do. But I think it's what I've struggled with as a breadwinning mum is that societal understanding of, oh, you're crazy. Why didn't you didn't have a year off with your child? And the guilt that that builds in you is is paramount. You know, you you want you do value your family above all else. But just because you have a family doesn't mean that you can't also develop your career and things that you want as a per an individual as well. And I think I was quite lucky because COVID for me gave me time back with my son that I wouldn't have had because I was just returning from maternity leave at that point so it meant that all of a sudden no office time back home and a, you know time with the baby that wouldn't have been there so I see it as a bit of a silver lining from an, a horrible situation but it's those kind of things that you have to 
capitalize on and also see some worth in terms of how COVID has changed how we work. So, you know, even now I'm working from home. My child is downstairs with his dad and I'll probably go and see him after this and, you know, have a nice cuddle. That's amazing. It's just a, it's fantastic. Would you do it again in the same way? I, the way that I would change it this time is not so much the baby stage. I was quite happy to to leave at the baby stage, but I was saying I'd probably look at trying to, you know, spend a bit more time with him, compressing hours for a certain amount of time just to enable that. But I think absolutely my husband is is a better parent than me so <laughs> you have to know where you stand in terms of your rankings and calibrate yourself don't you <laughs> but he's uh, you know he is a phenomenal dad so yeah Mel you talk about every voice mattering within WorkBuzz frequently in your communications how do you therefore facilitate connection within the organization and give that sort of parity so that everybody does have that voice yeah I think this is something that as again, because we scale and we're scaling and we're adding heads every week, pretty much, it's something that we're continuing to learn and develop as we go along. Because what worked at 11 employees where our CEO could sit down and listen to each one of us and have a one-to-one doesn't exist anymore. But I think there's certain things that we practice that absolutely help engender that culture and um, of employ of, of listening to people, no matter where in the organization you sit. We are big believers in, although we have a hierarchy, it's quite flat and that anybody can skip level and go and talk to our CEO, Steve. In fact, he actively encourages it and will annoy people on the floor. He loves it. He loves to pick at you on the floor when you're on around, if he's interested in something that you're working on or just wants to share a story or, I don't know, jar you on something like the football scores. Nothing I understand there. But he also runs new starter lunches. So once we have a cohort of new starters, he then takes them out for lunch where they can go, you know, in a safe space because there's other new starters, but go and sit down with our CEO and have that one-to-one direction. We also have communications channels. So we've got your typical, you know, all hands meetings. We have Slack where everybody is welcomed and encouraged to share feedback in all the different formats, can go into the different channels to go and see what other teams are up to or departments are up to. And the way that our leaders are asked to lead is to ensure that they are listening to people. I think something that we talk about is just making sure that the introverts of the world have that safe space. So whatever you can do to learn and listen ahead of time, so giving them prep materials ahead of a meeting so that they can reflect and prepare themselves to come armed with decisions, enabling people a bit of reflection time after a meeting to come back to you is is really important as well. And I think those elements are how we just adapt different meetings and how we listen to people to make sure that they feel that they can be heard. But I think that's culturally underlying. They all know that their voice does matter. And of course, we run our own pulse surveys. Got to practice what we preach and utilize our own platform and also 360 surveys. So again, we do that on our leadership team because they are the ones that should be leading from the front. And our employees know that those surveys absolutely are read and understood by our CEO and he gives updates about how they're being utilised and action taken forward. So that's how we complete the circle. Mel, on the 360 piece, how have you structured an environment that is psychologically safe enough for people to be completely honest and authentic in their answers? I think this one is something that's building and taking time. So 
at first what we've done is imp well, we when well I actually introduced 360 it's my fault um back when we were Smith and Henderson because I needed feedback that wasn't from the CEO at that point I needed to hear more from my peers because they were working in a different location to me and I felt I needed it for my own development that initial start you know it depends on how people take on feedback as to how in, how they build a culture around people wanting to share after it's delivered and I think what we did at first was ensure that there's a line manager at point to take all the feedback that's come in for the individual and then tone it make sure that it's not identifiable make sure that it is safe and then share it back to that person so that's been quite a useful point in time but eventually what we'd like to get to is that it is more transparent but that will take more time I think for us to get there and and more practice of 360 surveys. Could you describe your relationship with your well-being to us? Oh this is an interesting one so I would say um, I see well-being in, in a myriad of ways but I've got my mental well-being my physical well-being emotional well-being you know quite linked to, to both of those but also financial I am somebody that manages certain aspects of it really really well so I love focusing on my own mental well-being and my emotional I get a lot from my family time I'm doing an MBA outside of work as well so feeding the brain is is amazing for me and it really helps me feel you know feel joy bits that I know that I need to invest in one of my promises to myself for this year is, is to reinvest in my physical health actually that started this year by looking at physio appointments to help my, my back and my shoulders you know your typical laptop lurch yeah, got that involved <laughs> yeah so I need to do more to invest in that I was reading your website yesterday and one of your work was as talks about the environment that you operate in being one of the most challenging but equally the most rewarding Staying on that theme of well-being, I wondered what you do to protect well-being within the business or protect people's well-being within the business. We really care about it. So it's talked about in the leadership team level, our CEO, for all that he is commercially driven, is a people person deep down. He really cares if people are feeling something and if there's anything that we can do to help, we'd support them through the good times. But also, most importantly, I think in terms of we look at things like moments that matter. The moments that really matter are when people are going through tough times. I remember joining and at that point, my mother-in-law's partner was in, in and out of hospital because he had bowel cancer. So for me, the importance of that was to be able to go and see him when he was in hospital. And that was, it's not even been a question since about, yep, yeah, you can do those things. And then that enabled me as I've stepped up into a line management position to take the same approach with my team. So we do what's right for the person. We put them first. And we also try to ensure the message that they also understand is we send surveys. We don't send save lives here. We are not operating on people on the table or anything like that. If something's happening in your personal life, there is a team, especially now we're at that stage and, and at that size, who can take on that work? You know, they, nobody should feel under pressure to do anything or to have to juggle priorities because ultimately your human life and things that things happen so quickly that we need to be a person first before we are a worker what subjects do you think should be taught in school for the next generation to be successful in the future applied maths in terms of just managing your own finances why are we doing trigonometry 
and learning about algebra when people don't even know, you know, how to make sure that they've got enough income to to in, ensure that their outgoings aren't, aren't, you know, are being covered. Why aren't we looking at things like interest rates and understanding the legalities around that? That piece around improving people's understanding of finances that we should be educating the next generation on, but also things that as technology comes more to the forefront of work, things that technology can't fill. So understanding more of the human side of all aspects of life. So it could be psychology, sociology, whatever we want to look at. But I think enabling people to understand that there's a human element somewhere and because technology hopefully we'll never do that as well as us until we get uploaded into the ether I'm sure that is where I think the next generation needs to be focusing their time and, and thinking about what is your ultimate life goal so I'm quite uh, I come from quite you know middle class background so I haven't got huge aspirations but I think for me it's about making an imprint on the world or on people's lives that matters ultimately and that has enabled them to lead a better life themselves. I think if you can do that for even a handful of people as a, as a human being, and, and most people are already doing that, I think that's what's really hard for people to see about themselves. You're already probably influencing at least five people's lives in a really positive way right now. But if you can keep doing that and keep multiplying that, then I think that is a, a legacy that lives beyond you. Mel, we've reached the quick fire round. I'm really interested to know what's something that you've achieved in your life that you're proud of. Personally, obviously, having a child is beyond anything. But from a career perspective, for me, I've recently won an award being a rising star in customer success. How did you react to your greatest failure? I don't see myself as having that many failures. And I think that's a mindset piece. Again, I, I definitely fail. And there have been failures across time. I've been made redundant. I haven't got that job that I wanted. All these other elements. But rather than seeing them as failures, what I see them as are development opportunities or areas to learn. What's something you regret and what would you have done differently? The thing that I've learned over my career is the importance of voicing things for yourself and advocating yourself. And there are situations where, and I look back in my career especially when I was younger and faced with more senior people or people that are a little bit older than me, that I wish I would have stood up for bad behaviour. What's the biggest challenge that your business is facing at the moment? I think it's a tough market in employer listing at the moment. I think as a business, we have lofty ambitions. We are BC-backed, SaaS scale-up. So for us, it's just about making sure that we hit everything that we promised. And because we have ambitious targets around, you know, growing 100% year on year, making sure that that happens every time is what our challenge is. It's like scaling a mountain. I think, you know, you can hit one peak and summit and then you've got to do the next climb. It gets harder each time that you go. But I think that for us is is our key challenge, just making sure that we, re, we reinvent ourselves enough each time we need to do that climb and the next climb is going to get harder. What do you like most about yourself? Probably a myriad of things. I I like that I have a set of unique experiences and a unique upbringing that has made me who I am today. I very much credit my parents for enabling my career and really pushing me to strive harder, but also my husband who, you know, being a breadwinning mum and having a stay-at-home father is a shock, you know, and so he's also enabled me and pushed me further. And I think 
that comes from having you know what I, I know what I've wanted from a long time I know that I've wanted to be successful but I've also had the right people around me that have enabled me and supported me through that what's your biggest area of development then I think at this stage ensuring that I'm growing to the next level so I see myself being quite a strong leader operation operator and internally focused but my next area of development is making sure that I've got the governance side and that I understand that in full that's why I'm also doing my MBA learning more about the wider world of work and how it all fits together tell us something that you're passionate about probably food and travel like if you ask any of my team what they're going to hear from me most days it's what's for lunch He's got some exotic dish. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I love traveling, and you know, my mum's from Malaysia, so I've got all the best food in the world, really. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? To just be you, just do you. What's one book or podcast you'd recommend for our listeners? If I'm gonna focus on one uh, for your listeners, it would be The Inclusive Leader by Jennifer Brown. Fantastic. Mel, you're an absolute star. You're a pro at this. I really, really want to say a massive thank you. It was brilliant. Thanks for listening. Remember to like and subscribe.